Hey everyone, quick thing before we dive in. Uh, we are so excited and proud of what we have been building. And also we're so conscious that we still are and hopefully always will be feeling like beginners at this. And we care so much about continuing to learn and to grow and to shape this thing in accordance with what we're hearing from you. And so would you consider taking five to seven minutes to fill out a survey by November 1st? That would help us out so much, kind of as a one-year birthday present to, <laughs> to the podcast. Um, please go to sexforsmartpeople.com and on our blog, you'll find this survey and it won't take long. And whether you've listened to one episode or all of them, It'd be so valuable to hear from you. And we love hearing from you, your thoughts, objections, questions, and ideas at any time. But this is just a time that we'd like to reach out to you a little more formally. So by November 1st, go to sexresportpeople.com, to the blog, find the survey, and let us know your thoughts. We would so, so appreciate it. Our love is what we make of 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 it. Sex for smart people. That means you. Oh, hi. Hello. <laughs> Welcome to Sex for that Smart People. role for me feels kind of strange. We switched that up. Oh, how, hi. Did, how did it feel to not get to say oh, I was hi? I going to throw in oh, hi. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. Okay. Um... Welcome to Sex for Smart People. I'm Stephanie and my preferred pronouns are she or they. I'm Dave and my preferred pronoun is he. Uh, hi, everyone. I am Charlie Glickman and my preferred pronouns are he and him. Excellent. Charlie's joining us from across the country thanks to the magic of telephonic internet connection. Isn't it nice to live in the future? Yeah. <laughs> um, I am giddy to have Charlie with us today. He is Dr. Charlie Glickman, a sex and relationship coach and certified somatic sex educator. And I just think of him as just one of the wisest people that I know in terms of considering ideas about sex and dating and relationships in a wider social justice framework as well, which is something that, that we're, we on the podcast are so passionate about. And whenever I think, oh, has somebody thoughtfully written about this or that? Chances are Charlie already has. And so we're so thrilled to have you. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you. Can I add a little, a little bit of ignorance before we go on? What, yeah. what does it mean to be a, a somatic sex educator? Well, so I am uh, certified as a sexological body worker. That's another name for somatic sex educator. Uh, I do both talk-based coaching and hands-on work with people to help them learn to deepen pleasure and increase their erotic embodiment. Um, Holy for shit. Yeah for, yeah, for a lot of people, uh, you know, we use fantasies when we get really excited or we tune out or we check out. We're not fully present in the moment and experiencing all the pleasure that sex has to offer. Mm -hmm. So I work with people in a hands-on capacity to help them learn how to stay present in their bodies during arousal. Badass. Okay. So, um, mm. yeah, what, uh, today on Sex for Smart People, we're going to uh, interview Charlie a little bit, ask him some questions, find out more about this groovy stuff, which I have so many questions about. I'm guessing that you probably do too. Yes. Oh, um, yeah. And then we're going to answer some of your uh, questions and emails. And then um, we'll have quickies as usual. And then we're going to do the school thing where we have been collecting happy breakup stories, good breakup stories that you've been sending us. And we're going to share a couple of those too. Mm -hmm. um, welcome back. It's good to be back. Hi, sex or smart people. And Charlie, we want to dig back into more talking more about the hands-on stuff in a minute, but we want to kick off the interview officially how we always do with what is your relationship to relationships? 
what is my relationship to relationships? That's a really big question. Um, mm-hmm. I, so what are you asking me? Are you asking me what my relationship structure However is? However you take I, it. We've been fascinated by how each different guest riffs on that. Well, I'm going to uh, start with something that one of my teachers gave me, uh, Thorn Coyle. Uh, talks about in some of her workshops how there's a relationship between any two things. And uh, so there's a relationship between me and my computer and between me and Stephanie and between me and the stereo behind me. All of these different things, we have relationships with them. Uh, And the reason why I find this useful is that a relationship isn't just a one connection between me and you. So I'm going to use Stephanie as an example. Uh, Stephanie and I have met before. We've chatted. We've emailed. We have, a, we have a connection. We have a relationship. But it's not just one-dimensional because there's how I feel and think about that relationship. There's also how Stephanie feels and thinks about that relationship. So we each have a relationship to the relationship. Then there's how I think and feel about what Stephanie thinks and feels. So for example, Stephanie might be really Uh, upset about something that happens between us, and that might make me feel angry or sad or scared or anything else. Or Stephanie might be really happy with our relationship, and that might make me feel really happy. She also has a relationship with my relationship to what she thinks and feels about us. So you can see how instead of a relationship being a one-dimensional interaction, it's actually a whole cloud of connections how I feel about what you think about how I feel about you. Oh, man. Okay. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yep. If, if you're angry at me and I feel worried about that and then you feel sad about that and then I feel scared about that, these kinds of things really happen. So it's no wonder that relationships are complex. So my relationship to relationships is one of complexity. Um, and I think there's a lot of juice and passion to be found in that complexity. Cheers to that and to the acknowledging of the nuance there. I really nope. love that articulation. Um, I imagine that as a coach, that's a big part of what you navigate people. Is that true? It's definitely a lot of what I navigate with my clients because uh, most people are used to thinking about things in this very one-dimensional kind of way, and then they get frustrated or challenged when uh, the nuances show up mm-hmm. uh, because they just don't know how to deal with the fact that, hey, you know, my partner is scared because I'm working all the time, so we're not spending time together, so she feels abandoned by that or angry about that or whatever it might be. Uh, And so helping people understand that this is inherent in relationships. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong in that situation. That's just the way we work. And so the trick is to figure out how to uh, work our way through all of these different layers. Cheers. That's really exciting. That's, and, and seems to mirror my understanding of relationships. Yeah. And, And on the flip side, when things are going really well, you know, hey, I'm really happy that you're happy with how happy I am. Uh-huh. Right. So a, a lot of the examples that I gave were some of the more challenging situations because there's sure. more difference there. But when things are in that place of flow, we have a lot of positive reinforcement for staying there. And that's where this starts getting really, really fun. Mm. 
Excellent. How did you, uh, how did, so as Stephanie sometimes says, we're just going to switch roles here and then I'm going to ask right. you a question. What lit the fire under, under your butt? Is that what you say? I say ass. What lit the fire under your rear to pursue this as a, as your a, derriere. yeah, as a, as a, as a, as a sort of, uh, as a life you're building? Well, you know, to be honest, I fell into it a little bit. Um, when I was 19 and a sophomore in college, uh, I came out as queer, as bisexual at the time, and then I very quickly adopted the uh, uh, orientation queer. And I started doing outreach on campus to others, as part of the LGBT student group, uh, doing safer sex programs. And this was before there were any treatments for HIV. So as much as there's a lot of anxiety around safer sex today, you know, I'm talking about you know, 1989, 1990, around then, there wasn't a single treatment available. So the level of anxiety and fear was even higher. Yeah, uh, That meant that if I was going to talk about HIV and safer sex, then people started asking me, well, how do you talk to a partner about safer sex? And then people started asking me, well, how do I talk to my partner about what kinds of sex I want to have? And then people started asking me, well, how do I give a good blowjob? So it just kind of grows uh, step by step because when you're talking about sex, you're really talking about people's whole lives. Everything mm. in your life touches on your sexuality. I just can't uh, shout that from the rooftops enough, that kind of integration. I'm... Well, it's, it's the way that it works, right? When, you know, frequently as a coach, what I've discovered is people may come to me saying that they're... Uh, wanting to have better sex with their partner, but it turns out that what they really need is help figuring out how to discuss money or their workflow or what school to send their kids to. Mm -hmm. They're not having a sex problem. They're having a relationship difficulty that is manifesting through sex. Mm -hmm. So everything comes back to sex. Uh, So I was... Uh, doing that when I was in college, and then when I graduated and moved out to the San Francisco Bay Area, I volunteered at a few organizations. Uh, I was running a program at the local rape crisis center, became a safer sex outreach educator. But I didn't really start doing this as a career uh, until I got hired to work at Good Vibrations. Mm. Um, I was the second man to get hired to work in the store. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar, Good Vibrations is the premier a woman-friendly, sex-positive, education-oriented sex toy company. Uh, Most of the other companies who are working along that model have uh, have their roots in the Good Vibrations model, at least to some degree. Mm. Um, And I realized how much I love talking to people about sex, about relationships, um, about how to have more fun. Uh, And uh, it's it's been a great adventure ever since then. Yay. That's the short version. And There's I, more that I um, could say, I suppose, but that's the short version. <laughs> oh man, I want to talk to you for hours. <laughs> um, I um, I have so many questions, but I am you. The way you describe the the somatic sex education that you do and the hands on mm-hmm. coaching is really fascinating to me, and something that I deeply believe in is that um, talking about things and having an intellectual understanding of things really only goes so far and that everything lives in our body so strongly. And, and, um, I'm curious, um, how that, that part of your path unfolded for you. And if you might be open to sharing a little bit more about that, or even maybe some specific stories that have been really rewarding from working with people in that way. 
Oh, I would be happy to. Yeah. Uh, so I have been doing talk-oriented work for many, many years. I've been teaching. I've been doing workshops. I've been writing blog posts. I'm one of the authors of The Ultimate Guide to Prostate Pleasure. So I've been doing a lot of word-focused sex education for a long time. And um, a few years ago, I decided that I wanted to write a book on sex and shame, uh, sexual shame was one of the areas of focus in my dissertation. Mm. Uh, and uh, I also teach a workshop called Sex, Shame, and Love. So it's a topic that I, I really have a lot of interest in. And I was trying to sit down and write this book several times, and I just kept getting stuck. What I eventually realized is that I have a really good uh, intellectual understanding of shame. I understand how it works on an emotional level, on a relationship level, uh, on a sexual level. What I was missing was how shame affects us somatically, where it lives mm -hmm. in our bodies and what we can do about that. Uh, and I was looking around for places where I could learn about this. And I have quite a few friends and colleagues who are sexological body workers uh, so I was very familiar with the program, and I decided, hey, you know, I'll take this training. I'll check it out. That's probably what I need. Well, it turns out uh, the first portion of the training is home study, which also includes uh, you know, things like watching videos, reading uh, website articles, and then practicing on volunteers. And the second time I practiced on a friend of mine, I realized, oh, wait, this is what I need to do. If I want to understand mm -hmm. how shame works in the body, I need to engage with it in the body. Uh, I'd been doing that on my own for many years, but I needed to explore what it was like to help other people move through that process. And it has been such a gift. It really feels like the work that I have been training to do for the last 20 years, which, mm -hmm. is, another, which is another way of saying it's my next step. Because in five years, I'll be finding something else, and I'll say, this is the work I've been training for 25 years. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, but it really, uh, it's profound, uh, the healing that people can do when I engage with them on a physical level, on a somatic level, is so different than the way that we can work when we're just talking. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, Would you be open to, like, without saying any names, of course, but just sharing one or two specific stories of profound healing that has happened with yeah, you in I'd, that context? I'd be glad to. Well, the, the thing I need to explain first is the container of sexological bodywork because there's lots of different hands-on healing modalities out there. Mm -hmm. um, and there's Tantra. And... Yeah, there's a lot. So the, the way that we navigate the container, the way that we shape that is... Uh, I stay fully clothed. This is not about my experience. This is about my, my client's experience. Um, all touch is one way from me to them. It's hands only. And I wear uh, non-latex gloves for all genital touch mm. to both protect me and to protect them. Uh, so it's a very different situation from other kinds of hands-on healing work like uh, a surrogate partner, for example, or tantra work. Um, so if you think of it as body work, uh, that's a really good way to envision it. Um, a lot of what I do with people is help them uh, learn how to manage their own emotional and sexual experience through 
uh, breath, movement, sound, and touch. There are breathwork practices and movement practices that can help you stay present in your body so that you don't tune out or check out or dissociate. Mm. Um, so as one example of uh, a really deep healing work that can sometimes happen, um, I was working with a, a woman who had transitioned out of a long-term marriage that was not very abu- uh, emotionally healthy. Okay. And she was going through this healing journey around her sexuality, and she'd been exploring sex with lovers but there's a limit to how far that can get you. Uh, it's the difference between talking with a friend about your problems versus talking with a therapist. You know, the therapist has more distance uh, to be able to give you some perspective. So she came to me to work on this. And uh, some of the sessions that we have done have been very pleasure-oriented, uh, including ways that she can stay present in her body while experiencing pleasure and other sessions that we've done, you know, will be in the middle of, uh, body work. And suddenly she'll have these really big feelings that were the result of this marriage that she had been in bubbling to the surface, whether it was sadness or anger or grief, um, you know, fear, and being able to be present with them and talk with me about them uh, without having that interrupt our experience. It didn't get in the way of the flow. We were able to dive back into the embodiment work afterwards has really supported her healing process. And it has been uh, a catalyst for some big change in therapy. Mm-hmm. In some ways, she comes to me for these embodiment pieces, and then she goes and, and talks about them with her therapist and really unpacks them even more. And I have seen her just open up in ways that neither of us could have predicted when we started. Um, as another example of something in a completely different direction, I had, one, I had a woman come to me who'd always wondered whether the reason why she'd never enjoyed anal sex was because it just wasn't her cup of tea or whether it was the guys she was dating. And it turns out it was the guys. Um, And now she knows how to tell a partner, this is what my body needs if we're going to have anal sex. She's able to communicate to them, and uh, hopefully she's able to have the experiences that she's looking for. So as you're helping people move past shame in their sexuality, I feel like societally there's so much of a stigma and and a, a shameful stigma put on sex work, put on caring about yourself sexually, care, uh, put on, uh, a, 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 even attempting to, to find your pleasure. Yeah. Or thinking that, that sexuality is some, is like a luxury Important. or a peripheral thing yeah. to life. So do you find, um, in your clients that part of the shame that you have to work through is actually caused by the fact that y- you're working together at all? Or how are the people who are coming to you, uh, dealing with that sort of stigma placed on them by the outside world that says that this is all just, uh, a lark or like a waste of time or selfish or hedonistic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the people who tend to be attracted to this kind of work, um, have often worked through some of those things, right? The sexual shame that says that you don't deserve to experience pleasure. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's at least some, awareness around that. In some ways, sexological bodywork has a lot to offer people at, at uh, earlier stages in that process, but it may be a little bit too scary for them. You know, the idea 
of seeking somebody out for hands-on uh, erotic massage or pelvic release work is often very challenging and scary. So there's a there's a a hump that people have to get over. That's part of why my website describes in so much detail what I do, because I want folks to be able to uh, make informed decisions about that. Mm -hmm. What tends to come up more often is uh, less societal shame and more individual shame. Uh, I recently started working with a guy who uh, has a lot of difficulty articulating his desires during sex. Um, and some of it is that he just kind of gets into his zone and then when it's time to use words and tell his partner, hey, this is what I want, it feels like an interruption to him. Mm-hmm. And so a, a lot of what we've been working on is how he can use his words without it short-circuiting his pleasure. Yeah, I feel like we got uh, that Because he was a lot, feeling a lot of shame about that. Yeah. That's yeah. something that comes He was feeling so a lot of him. shame about the fact that he wasn't able to do it. And I, we soon are going to move on from the interview, but because this is something that comes up so often with us too, I would love to ask uh, you more about what are, what are ways that you, or what are things that are working for, for him or that, that you offer in, in terms of contextualizing that, that um, being clear about what you want in a way that just expands the pleasure, but doesn't interrupt it. Well, so here's an exercise that you can do at home if you have somebody to practice this with. Um, and practice what exercise. Do, do, do. Homework time. Uh, what you're going to do is set a timer for 10 minutes. And if you have a timer that will beep once a minute to remind you, like some phone apps will do that, that's even better. And the game you're going to play is uh, you are going to take turns touching your partner from the elbow down to the hand, so just the forearm and hand, uh, but you're going to touch them only in the way they tell you, exactly as they tell you, until they give you a new instruction. Mm. So, for example, if they say, scratch my arm up and down, you'll scratch their arm up and down until they say, now tap my arm with, my fi- with your fingertips. Mm. Now make little circles. Now do massage strokes. Uh, and uh, you'll find... A lot of, for many people, you'll find that that's a remarkably difficult thing to do. Uh, to be that to, specific, you mean? To be that specific and to do it without saying please. Mm. Without saying, would you please do this? Or could you please do that? You're just going to give the direction. Mm-hmm. And then after 10 minutes, you're going to trade and do it. Uh, you're going to swap roles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we live in a world where for most of us, uh, we don't want to just say, touch me like that because it's rude or you don't want to be obnoxious or whatever it might be. Uh, and that kind of exercise can help you with that. So with this, with this guy, we started off doing that on his arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we did a, a portion of the next session where I was doing that on his back, different kinds of massage strokes on his back. And then over time, we were able to start doing that uh, during genital stimulation Mm-hmm. Um, and it gave him permission to find his words and uh, start building some skills so that he could do that with a partner. Mm, and I think so so there's a progression. You can see how there's a progression that we don't just dive into the deep end of the pool. Right. And the comfort and confidence in talking about things is the hot part. Feeling, uh, feeling consternated about anything renders things unsexy. And so yeah. I, I hear how 
how, how building that. That's so, yeah. cool. so profound. And I hope if anybody out there is listening and is in the Bay Area that you may seek Charlie out for sessions. Where can they find you if they're looking for you? Yeah. Uh, well, my blog is, my, my, so I have two websites. My main website is charlieglickman.com. That's where I blog more about sexual politics and gender and things. Uh, my coaching website is makesexeasy.com. And I do talk coaching over Skype as well as the hands-on work. Um, and you can also find me on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and all those other social media sites as Charlie Glickman. So I'm very easy to track down. And I highly recommend tracking yeah. him down, reading everything on his blog. Thank you. Well. Thank you. And my, uh, my uh, Make Sex Easy does have a really good explanation of sexological body work as well as links to some other websites. So if you're curious about it, that's a good place to start. Groovy. Uh, just as a total side note, but I, 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 I Today, this week, I learned that somebody actually got a job through LinkedIn, and I had no idea that that was a thing that actually worked. I really didn't know. I know. I didn't know. I thought it was just a um, a site that sent spam emails, but apparently some people actually get work through it. I had no idea. So here's a shout out to LinkedIn working, apparently. (laughs) Oh, God. I don't know if I second that. (laughs) And now. On to your questions. Mm-hmm. Questions. I'm trying to get these new. <laughs> no more. No more no. theme songs. Oh, it's we like have a, no, not theme songs, but like heading titles, like your like listener questions, and then there's a laser sound effect, and da da da, and then flags. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm working on turning toward curiosity. <laughs> as Cole said in episode eight, but shout out to Cole. I am, I'm holding back my eye rolls. All right. Sorry. No, we'll just, we'll just try them. We'll see what happens. Try it. Do it. Do it again, and then I'll read. Okay. The here we go. Listener questions. <laughs> USA, USA. Oh, man. Um, I'll, 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 I think it's going to be good. I'll think about that. I don't know um, how I feel about that either. <laughs> Question number one. I'm starting my own podcast. It's oh, called Sex no. for Cool People. Oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> we love you, Dave. No, think about all the admin work I'd have to do. It would never happen. <laughs> That's true. Okay. Question number one. Question one. My girlfriend wants to fuck me in the ass with a strap on. I feel like I'm just not into it, but she thinks I'm not into it because I'm homophobic. I don't think I'm homophobic. What do you think? So there's a lot there and there's a lot that we don't know. We don't know the gender of the person that's writing in, but I think we can presume it's a good guess that it's a dude. Homophobia. I think that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I feel pretty confident that it is uh, somebody who identifies as a man if only because the homophobia and anal play issue really only shows up there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you so. encountered the homophobia and anal play issue a lot in people that you work with? Less in the people that I work with because uh, anyone who comes to me, you know, they see my photo on my website, I identify as a uh, cisgender fluid man. So mm-hmm. there's, um, there's a selection process. So sure. it tends to not show up for me. But uh, when we were writing The Ultimate Guide to Prostate Pleasure, my co-author, Aislinn, and I, we sent out a survey to almost 200 people, uh, both men and partners of men, asking them about their, their uh, experiences of anal play, prostate massage, whatever. And one of the questions that we asked was, what kept you from trying this? Or what were some of the barriers that you had? Mm-hmm. And we heard three over and over again. Is this going to hurt? Is this going to be messy? And does this mean I'm gay? 
Mm -hmm. um, those first two, those are technical questions and not really related to uh, this person's concern. Sure. But the fact that that third one shows up over and over and over again uh, shows just how common it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, in my workshops, when I ask what are some of the barriers that men and their partners might have to trying anal play, no one ever guesses anything except those three. Mm, and I think of even like even in people who in, are compassionate and enlightened and accepting of, of all, all different orientations, like I do think that that like deep-seated homophobia is a real thing. And um, I think about Michael Sam and the NFL, who like um, all the hubbub around um, how could a, a football player be gay? Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, but this, what this question makes me, what makes me think about is, is kind of that, like we don't know who's writing in or, or if they are, if they, maybe they are homophobic, but um, I just think of like with myself, um, Growing up uh, in a, a very hardcore evangelical family and having a lot of sexual shame. And then even years after I was very comfortable with myself sexually, I still had uh, layers of myself that believed my vagina is smelly and gross. And I'm thankful that I've I've since moved past that. But that was that was probably like six to eight years after I knew intellectually that my vagina was not smelly and gross. But it took me that long to like really on a I guess somatic level really know that. And so I wonder like even if this person writing in is a is a, a thoughtful and accepting and compassionate person, I think it's really great that they're asking this question because um, maybe or maybe not they are homophobic, but it's it's possible that it lives in them even if they intellectually are not. Yeah. It's, it's worth, it's, it's worth doing deep thinking about because homophobia is not, is not just whether or not you have gay friends or whether or not you support same sex marriage. Homophobia is structural and it can be deeply, deeply ingrained in, even mm -hmm. if in the same way that, that racism can't be, even if you, uh, that, you know, uh, when, when, uh, that, uh, it's, it's, it's in you because you exist in our culture that is homophobic, whether or not you try to practice it. It's the same way that you probably know because you exist in the United States or uh, if, if you're listening to this in the U S and you occasionally go grocery shopping, you know what Tom and Katie are doing right now, oh. or you know that the prince and the princess of Wales are, uh, are, are, or whatever they are, the duchess of whatever are expecting a child and you don't seek out that information, but you have it. And I feel like that's a little bit of how homophobia seeps into you, even if you are doing your best not to have it because our society is. So I think it's a good question and, and your girlfriend may be right and, and you may be right, but it's worth looking into. But, um, let's say that he, um, so yes, cheers for thinking about it. But let's say yeah. that, yeah, go ahead. Charlie, Although I'd like to widen the scale a little bit more too, because, yeah. Um, homophobia and uh, sexism often go together. Sure. Mm. Um, and one of the reasons why some men resist exploring uh, anal play is uh, because they don't want to take on the quote-unquote woman's role. Mm. That to be penetrated means to be dominated, means to give up masculine status. Oh, dear. Mm. So that's a piece. There's also sometimes the piece of... Uh, um, you know, this this idea that anal play and anal sex is wrong because that part of our body is dirty, disgusting, or shameful. Um, in his book, 
uh, Anal Pleasure and Health, Jack Morin talks quite a bit about how uh, attitudes about cleanliness and the anus often causes a lot of fear and dissociation from that part of the body. Mm. Um, and I want to one... bookmark that one. Okay. I bookmark that. And, or maybe and... I'll just go there. In that, yeah. isn't there... So I... Um, um, I really enjoy anal play, but I also am aware that there is, isn't there bacteria in the anus that is more, that, that can cause harm more than say, obviously bacteria in the mouth or vagina? Uh, yes. I mean, there's bacteria in our digestive systems that we want there, that we don't want to get other places. But all that means is uh, you need to know a few basic protocols, like wear a glove so that when you're having sex, you can touch somebody's anus or penetrate them, and you take the glove off and your hand is clean. Mm-hmm. You don't go from anal sex to vaginal sex, or you can mm-hmm. give somebody a really unpleasant yeast infection. Um, mm-hmm. It's not rocket science, but when we uh, are shamed about it, mm-hmm. it becomes really difficult to talk about. Yep. And I didn't mean to derail you by that sideways stuff. No, no, it's important. It's relevant. It's relevant. And then one last piece is that the pelvic floor is a place where we hold a lot of difficult feelings. Um, Mm. Think about when a dog or a cat is scared, right? And it tucks its tail between its legs and tries to hunker down to protect itself, right? Mm -hmm. Like, hey, we're at the vet. I don't want you doing weird things to me. Right? Mm-hmm. This, is what, this is what dogs and cats do. Human beings have the same physiological response to fear, uh, but we're standing upright and we don't have tails. Uh-huh. There's a Most reason why people... Well, <laughs> and the people who are wearing butt plugs with bunny tails on it, that's a different thing anyway. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, there's a reason why people who are stressed out all the time are called tight asses. Mm-hmm. You know, what Even do we say? Retentive, to, I think. Anal, and what do we say to somebody who is really uptight? We tell them to loosen up. So uh, sometimes people resist exploring anal stimulation because they're holding a lot of difficult feelings in that part of their body. And if they started to relax it, those feelings would come up. Huh. Mm-hmm. Intriguing. Okay. Yeah. So let's so, so, so let's 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 be like super. Let's take all of that and say, like, yes, the writer of this question has done all of that and has not fallen victim to structural homophobia and is a totally loose person. And anal play just actually isn't their thing. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's okay well, to so- not be into stuff, but it sounds like he hasn't explored it at all. And I think that, like, that he's saying, my girlfriend wants to fuck me in the ass with a strap on. That's, like, a version of going zero to 60. Like, if he hasn't explored... Uh, anal stimulation or prostate stimulation at all, mm-hmm. then I get why being fucked in the ass with a strap on is really yeah. scary. Like, um, I'm curious if the writer has explored right. any kind of anal yeah. stimulation and that that may be <laughs> sure. just to be like good giving and game in that relationship. That may be a way to just like open the conversation, like keep the strap on, like for a little down the road, we don't have to go to zero to 60. Yeah. Right. You're saying you're so well, and- up. Up at the plate when when a major league pitcher is is throwing at you and you maybe you want to start at T ball yeah, is what you're saying. Like, I think <laughs> yeah. that baby steps are okay. Well, I don't know. What do you think, Charlie? That these well, you, when I teach workshops on anal play, um, one of the things I say is that any kind of erotic anal stimulation is anal sex. Mm. Tickling somebody around the outside while you're giving them a blowjob is anal sex. Right. But, you don't need to have penetration <laughs> for it to be anal sex. Yeah. So 
So that's one thing is that there's a whole range of pleasures that you can do besides anal intercourse. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would suggest him, well, first I would, if I was talking to this person, I would ask them if that was something that they had ever tried. Mm-hmm. And if not, I would suggest that they give it a shot because they might be surprised at how good it can feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's fingers, there's toys, there's external play, there's internal massage, there's prostate massage. There's a whole buffet of options besides using a strap-on. Self-exploration in the shower just to see, like, stripped yeah. from mm-hmm. from partner context. Does it feel good to have somebody, to have you, your finger, touch your ass? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe he would like to have his, maybe he would enjoy it if his girlfriend used her fingers but he's not interested in the strap-on. Maybe it would be fine if they were using a dildo, but she was holding it in her hand mm-hmm. rather than a strap-on. Mm-hmm. So, so that would be one thing that I would suggest with all of that. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I would suggest with all of this is, uh, you know, a lot of the times when people want to try something new in bed, they just dive into it. And mm-hmm. I actually think it's better to make it an add-on, make it a side dish. So mm-hmm. if you want to try anal stimulation, include it as part of a blowjob, like I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, when we try something new, uh, it's often more effective to combine it with a familiar pleasure. And sometimes we learn to enjoy the new thing in and of itself. And sometimes we decide, I only want it as a side dish. Hmm. Uh-huh. But uh, there's no reason to you know, make it a main course if you don't even know you like it. Maybe I should start listening to jazz music while having sexual pleasure to see if I can somehow learn to to oh, Dave detests jazz to music. like the saxophone. <laughs> Maybe if I start jazz, to... jazz, you know, jazz encompasses a really wide range of activities in music. You know, there's a there's really a lot of options. I'm, I'm speaking mostly of people <laughs> blowing into saxophones of. <laughs> Any size, sure. but you know, maybe if I do some like uh, Pavlovian conditioning, it's true. It might be worth might be worth giving a shot. But I really love the the, <laughs> the nuance that that brings up, and and that yeah. to think and what you point to, Charlie, is that that gradation is is so important. That um, yeah. And I just before we move on, I want to return to the thing about what if it's the kind of like entrenched ideas of what masculinity means. Um, I'm thinking about how. There are, um, you know, some. Uh, there are many women for whom being submissive in bed is really, honestly, a huge turn on. And some people point to that and say, "Oh, that's wrong and not feminist or something." And I totally don't agree with that at all because I think what we're what we're into in bed maybe or maybe is not connected to who we are in the rest of life. And I mean, it's, it's connected, but it's not that if we're submissive in bed, then that means that You're we're submissive, submissive in, in life. And so similarly, I think that I would encourage the person who wrote in to consider that if what they're hung up on is the idea of being penetrated and, and, um, sort of, um, thinking of that as tied to being submissive, that, um, exploring this area of themselves sexually does not need to undermine who they are, how they present in the rest right. of life. It might. It might be that they explore it and they're like, oh, this is putting me on this spiritual path of, of exploring, receiving, and, and um, all that stuff. But I think more likely it would just be like, oh, this is a thing I enjoy and I still am who I am. I don't know. Can I maybe recommend, oh, uh, despite, I think I'm going to give some advice. <laughs> 
I'm going to okay. try it. Oh, we don't usually really do that. Okay. Okay. But here's the thing. Well, it's more a thing, which is that if your girlfriend is joke is telling you that the reason you might not like a sex thing is because she thinks you're homophobic. I think that it might be worth like really setting aside time and honestly being like, I need to check in about this homophobia thing. Like, are you serious? Are you, are you kidding? Or are you serious? And if so, can we talk about what I'm doing in my life? Maybe beyond this thing about not wanting you to put a, uh, a dildo in my ass. Mm. Like, am, am I doing things in the world that you, cause she likely knows the person very well. Am I doing things that make me present as homophobic in my life? Mm, turning towards curiosity and turn listening is a moral code. Those yes. are things we love. So mm-hmm. to may, may, maybe she's onto something or maybe, maybe she's joking and it's, and it's just to, to, sort of needle you and, and but i think that it's worth check like in a spirit of curiosity asking and really listening yeah yeah oh my god any closing thoughts charlie before we you just gave advice <laughs> you threw down i agree with your advice um yeah. any closing thoughts charlie before we move on to the next question uh well just one last thing is that you know he this person may try anal play with or without a strap on and it's just not his cup of tea yeah mm-hmm. uh you know with any kind of sexual pleasure uh, nobody has to like any of it, just like nobody has to like a particular kind of food. Mm-hmm. Um, so I figure if you, uh, if you, you can't say you don't like it if you've never tried it. You might say, I'm not interested in trying it. I'm not interested in eating monkey brains. I know that there are people in the world who consider it a delicacy. Um, but I can't say I'm not into but if it if in I haven't life, actually Charlie, tried who it. Was like... Yeah. And if someone in, I, I think that I can't imagine myself trying monkey brains either. I'm a lifelong vegetarian, but like, but if someone in my life was like, it is deeply important to me that you at least try monkey brains. Maybe like, you'd break up with that person. Maybe I'd break up with that person. <laughs> and that's okay. Maybe, and that's okay. Yeah. But, but maybe that I person wants somebody who eats monkey brains. Oh God. Don't yes. eat monkey brains. I don't think that I could ever be matched with don't a person do it. who wanted to eat monkey brains. But. I hope that you like it, but monkeys have brains and they like to use them. I have a monkey brain and I like it and I don't want anybody to eat my monkey brain. Oh man. That was a, that was a tangent on monkey brains. Yeah, really, got deep. Really, in short, I agree with what you just said, Charlie. Awesome. <laughs> On to question two. All right. You want me to read this one? Go for it. Okay. Okay. Question two. Qu- question two. <laughs> I totally agree that enthusiastic consent is important. I'm glad you guys talk about it so much. Yes means yes. Not just no means no. Totally. I get it. I see why it is super important. But oh my God, consent is a tricky thing. I'm a straight guy in college and I like hooking up with people at parties and stuff. I live in this constant fear, though, that a girl I am hooking up with will feel violated afterward, even if I am checking in as best as I can, and she seems enthusiastic in the moment. I am mostly afraid of hurting somebody unintentionally, but I am also afraid that I will be wrongfully accused of rape or something. The girls I am hooking up with seem to like it when I am kind of rough, but I hold myself back a lot because I don't want to be disrespectful or to hurt anybody. I'm a pretty gentle guy, and I like to communicate about everything, as you can probably tell from how wordy my question is, but I feel like there is no way to keep everybody happy and also have fun and sex. This feeling has made me just not even flirt with people as much lately because every possible action seems wrong. Please help. Hmm. Oh, man, I feel for this person. <sighs> yeah, so I have some thoughts. Do Please. it. So, so my, th- my, my thoughts on this is this. One is that... Uh, it's great that some, that he's doing something which is that he's enjoying, which is hooking up, you know, with folks at parties. 
Um, and the more you are going to do things that put you at risk of potentially crossing somebody's boundaries accidentally, like rough sex or like S&M or like fantasy play and role play or even just dirty talk, um, the more you need to know where that person is coming from. Right. Like if you're going to do something that that is closer to those edges with a one night stand, it helps if you can at least have a conversation with them. Hey, I really like it when you pull my hair and call me a dirty little slut. Great. Now I know where that line is. But if you're not able to have that conversation with someone that you're hooking up with, you probably shouldn't be engaging in those more edgy activities because you don't know where their boundaries are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is one of the advantages of having an ongoing connection, whether it's a relationship or not. You know, just, you know, I know because we've been together three or four times, I know where your boundaries are a little bit more. And so we can play with them more. Yeah, cheers um, to the goodness and even the hotness of going slow. Not yeah. that that's always the right choice for everybody because going yeah. a lot hooking up with someone in the moment can be hot and can be communicative if you're, if you're there. Yeah. The, the reason why I think this is important is because he specifically says the girls I am hooking up with seem to like it when I am kind of rough. Yep. There's a lot of qualifiers there. Yeah. And when I'm basing my actions on what you seem to like, there isn't communication happening there. Yep. Word. So that would be my suggestion is if you're holding yourself back because you don't want to hurt someone, that means you have to have a conversation. And if you can't have that conversation, it's time to rethink what you're doing. Yeah. Charlie, you also, uh, I think we have a recent blog post about, about, um, I think it might actually be your, as we're recording this, your most recent blog post about being bold and about, yeah. um, about how, being bold rather than being aggressive. Yeah, yeah. I love that. We posted it on our Facebook page. Um, and, um, and, uh, I, I'm, I'm, uh, so I found it really interesting and really cool. And I was wondering if you would share a little bit about how you define the difference between being bold and being aggressive and the steps that you suggest for, uh, for, for, for being so. Sure. Um, I talk with a lot of men who are trying to figure out, uh, how to how to navigate all of these things. And mm-hmm. the short version of it is, how can I fully express my masculinity without being a dick? Yeah. Right? Because if I go too far, I'm a, I'm, I'm a jerk, I'm a douchebag, I'm pushing people's boundaries. But if I hold myself back too much, not only don't I get what I want, but then I feel uh, really shut down. So it's how do we, how do we express these things? And the, the formula that I've been working with and playing with, which has been really effective, it's, uh, it's an if-then statement. Uh, it starts off with some version of if you're in the mood, if you're into it, if it would turn you on. I, and then it's followed by a statement of my desire. I would like to go out to dinner with you. I'd like to have sex with you. I'd like to kiss you. Of course, it has to be tailored for the individual situation. You're not going to go up to someone randomly on the street and say, if you're in the mood, I'd like to kiss you. Well, you might, but you're likely to come across as, as a douchebag. Please, do please don't do that. <laughs> yeah, so please don't do that. So mm-hmm. you still have to tailor it to the situation. But the reason why this is useful is it makes it really clear that I only want to do this if you want to do this. You know, hey, if you're in the mood, 
I'd love to go see Guardians of the Galaxy with you. Well, if you're not in the mood, then I don't want to do it with you. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go, I'll go do it with someone else because it's more fun when we're both having fun. Um, but it's also a powerful statement because I'm not saying, you know, would you please go out to a movie or I'd kind of like to go see this movie. I'm making a very strong statement. So if I say to someone, uh, you know, if you're into it, I would really like to kiss you. That's a very bold statement. And different than it, I would really like to kiss you if you're into it, as you say in that post. Yeah. Yeah, because if you start with the if portion of that word, you're making it really clear that the consent comes first. Word. So, for example, this guy, uh, you know, if he is making out with someone and, you know, wants to go back to their place, you know, he might say, hey, you know, if you're into it, I would really love to go back to your place now. Or if you're into it, I'd really enjoy rough sex tonight. What does that mean? Yeah. You know, what, what do we do with that? Or even in the middle of sex, hey, you know, if you like it too, I would love to pull your hair while you're going down on me. Mm. Yes. And that's a really bold statement, but it also gives you some safety. You know, she might say yes, no, maybe, tell me more. I'm not into it. The one thing with this is sometimes some women do get turned off when guys check with them about these things. Let's just be honest and admit that that happens. In my view, I would rather not have sex with someone who gets turned off by those conversations because uh, not only does it put me at risk of crossing their boundaries, but it means that they're a lot more likely to cross my boundaries. Here, here. Or I would say in a longer term connection, um, even if somebody was turned off by those check-ins, at least if they're up for those check-ins while you establish boundaries, and then maybe if you're together for a couple of weeks or months, then you have those boundaries established and then you can hook up without checking in as much. But um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, maybe, maybe it means that, you know, you're wearing a certain outfit or you're giving somebody that look or you take their hand and put it on the back of your head during a blowjob, whatever the signals are, you've developed your own individual language for that relationship. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but you have to have the foundation of talking about it when you don't know someone as well. And, and that is so hard in a hookup at a party and hookups at parties can be fun. But um, I, two things are coming to mind. One a thing that um, a listener wrote in to a crowdsource question a while back talking about consent, even in terms of, any flirtation, not even when you're talking about touch. And um, this person suggested saying, hey, I'd like to flirt with you. I'd really love, I'd really be into flirting with you right now. Would that be okay? And I'm just thinking a cool variation of that about like, if you're in the mood, I really would love to flirt with you. Um, Yeah. And then um, the other thing I'm thinking of that this, this questions points to, and that um, I know Charlie, because we've spoken a little bit about it is the difficulty of navigating or the the challenge of of navigating consent on an ongoing basis. Like this person says, um, I live in this constant fear though, that a girl I'm hooking up with will feel violated afterward, even if I am checking in as best as I can. And she seems enthusiastic in the moment. So there are different ways of going out about checking in as best as you can. But, um, uh, I would love to talk a little bit. And cause I know also Charlie, you're writing about this right at, at the moment about, um, navigating ongoing consent like that just because somebody says yes to to some things and is enthusiastic about the way things are going for a while how to make sure that that's 
that's keeping up throughout the encounter without like every two seconds needing to verbally say, is this okay? Is this okay? Is this okay? Yeah. Well, I think there's a couple of different things here. One is that uh, it's good to remember that anybody of any gender can say something when they're excited and they're turned on and then afterwards realize that they maybe went a little bit too far. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been on, I've personally been on both sides of that situation where I thought my partner was fine with it and it turned out later that they weren't, or I thought I was cool with it and then woke up the next morning just not feeling really good. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's another reason why it's useful to not go near those edges until you know someone a bit better and you can trust them. That's doubly true when there's alcohol involved. Yes. Yes. So alcohol, really any drugs, but especially alcohol, because we tend to make bad decisions when we're drunk. Uh-huh. Let's would, just call that. Would you talk for a moment about your concept of due diligence? Yeah. So the thing with consent is that there's no 100% way to know for sure what's going to happen in the future. You know, you and I might agree to do something and be fine with it in the moment. And then you wake up the next morning and you think, yeah, you know, that really wasn't such a good idea. Mm -hmm. Um, Due diligence is this, it's a legal concept, but basically it's how do you show that you have done enough to uh, take care of the situation? So, okay, so you woke up the next morning and you really have some regrets about what we did, but we talked about it. I checked with you about it. I checked in with you while we were doing it. And you said that you were feeling good with it in those moments. That doesn't mean you don't get to feel bad now, but I don't have, uh, I, I, I could feel absolved of any blame around it because I did my job here. Um, it's the, it's unfortunate, but sometimes you know, the most we can do is make decisions based on the information we have at the time, right? And we don't know what's going to happen the next day. Mm-hmm. Uh, having said that, I may be absolved from responsibility or blame, but I can still hold space for the fact that you feel bad about mm-hmm. what happened and what are we going to do about that? You know, I'm, I regret... Those feelings that, are still real. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, those feelings are still real. And I did my job in good faith and you gave me answers in good faith, hopefully. Yeah. Uh And I think the person giving answers in good faith, like none of us are perfect and all of us are messy and we can't know how we'll feel the next day about things ever. And, and, and I, I've been in that boat, but I think, um, I just want to give a shout out to like checking in with oneself, uh, and, and breathing into how you're feeling in your body, heart and soul minute by minute as you go. I have, I have, I have yeah. two responses to this and one is a more like actionable thing. And one is a thing for, to think, to think about in mm-hmm. this. The first is that I, I imagine that you, you say that you really like hooking up with people, with girls at parties and that you also live in constant fear. And I'm guessing that that liking of hooking up with people is somewhat mitigated by the constant fear. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that there would be value and even real sexiness in that moment if you're feeling very turned on and you both have been drinking and you're at a party, you don't know each other to say like, holy crap, I'm into you. I'm into this connection. And also, and I want to do 
wonderful, lovely, horrible things to, with, with and to you, right? That this, we're feeling very sexually aligned right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to make sure that we're doing that together, connected in our right minds. Um, you seem super cool. If if you're into it, can we get dinner tomorrow and and see if this connection exists then too? And just make out for tonight. Yeah, and not go any further. Or something. And that that's a and that and that and that though that might minimize the the liking of hooking up with people, it would also like majorly minimize the constant fear that you're going to cross boundaries. Sure. Okay. So that was my that's one. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. But the second thing is that um, with, with a with a uh, again, I think the part that our that our thoughts can be the product of the society we're in. So well, I don't I don't think you're doing. I don't think the writer is doing this. I think that um, that and and listen, I empathize. I I understand this fear of 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 being later accused, right? Um, but I think that part of this mindset is the product of a of a society that um that doesn't trust the that doesn't trust victims particularly when they're female or survivors or survivors that we think that um they're um that there's that 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 probably there was a misunderstanding and i think that um that that uh that though i understand the i understand the feelings and and i've shared them that i think that um the best we can do if we're going to be um, uh, cis male allies, if we're uh, or cis male straight allies of of uh, survivors, is to reframe the way we th- think about that, and part of the way can be reframe the way we talk about it. And so, rather than saying I'm worried about being accused of something, saying I to really clarify that I'm worried about hurting somebody. And you say that sometimes, mm-hmm. but not saying I'm worried about them changing their mind, but saying I'm worried about me not understanding that I'm going too far. Take the onus back on on you as a as a as a way of being a little a little point of light in the world that's leading away from us blaming survivors. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. Yeah. And and the other thing that I want to add, um, this is a little bit of a sideways step because I just think you, you said that really, really well, is that um, also it's not that we on this podcast, podcast or that um, I'm guessing not that you, Dr. Charlie Glickman, think that all casual hookups are bad or that it's always best to go slow if there's great communication around it. And if you want to hear and think more about that, I highly recommend Jana Vrangalova's work Dr. and Jana. our episode 14, where we talk a lot about the psychology of casual sex and her findings on when or when it is and when it is not uh, maybe a good idea to be engaging in it. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for both of those because I think you're you're uh, uh, I think you're right, David. That there's a lot there's a lot of power in saying, you know, I don't want to do something that goes too far. Yeah. Or or, or for that matter, I don't want to do something that disappoints my partner. I just want it to be good for everybody. Yeah. And um, yeah, you're right. I, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, whether it's casual sex or hookup sex or one time sex. There's certainly been. Uh, a sufficiency of that in my life. Um, for me, you know, and for me, it's really all about how well are we treating each other? Yeah. And you can do that with a relative stranger just as much as you could do that with someone you've known for years. Yeah. Cheers to that. Um, good luck. <laughs> uh, 
uh, <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, where do we go with layered all this? stuff and so cool that you're being considered and considerate about it. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, uh, yeah. Um, uh, let's give a shout out to sobriety. <laughs> Sometimes in discussing things, uh, especially in new connections, um, alcohol helps to, to grease the wheels, I know. But if, if you are worried, and I understand the worry, meet, 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 meet up for, for a lovely cup of noodles dinner that doesn't involve booze and, and see what transpires. <laughs> More on that on episode 14 as oh, yeah? well. Yeah. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Excellent. Um, That's awesome. All right. And now on to quickies. Quickies. <laughs> oh, it's oh, going to catch on. It's going to catch on. Oh, man. I'm trying. I'm trying to warm up to it, Dave, really. Um, <laughs> um, so my quickie is um, about a book that I read a while back. And Dr. Roxy Manning is going to join us at some point. She's um, She studies and coaches about nonviolent communication, which uh, listeners, you may already know a great a lot about and nonviolent communication is something that I like without knowing the formal terms felt like I had been like reaching for and informally studying for a long time. Basically like how can we be together best? How can we um, take responsibility for our own feelings and, and be clear about what we need from, uh, from ourselves and from our partners and also leave space for what other people need. I mean, that's stuff that just like feels intuitive to me and that I've been like, is seeking to do regardless of this specific framework, but I've been really interested in learning more formally about nonviolent communication lately. And this book called being genuine, stop being nice and start being real sounds annoyingly self-helpy, but is really, really substantive. Um, I really appreciate it as a way of deepening and fleshing out a lot of things that I was, had been thinking about already. And, um, the basic framework for nonviolent communication, which uh, more on that when we have Dr. Roxy Manning on, on the podcast is um, uh, when I see, or when I observe this, I feel this because I need blankety blankety blank. Would you be willing to blankety blankety blank? So like ending with a specific request. So therefore it just like, it's it's one tool. It's not the only way to do this, but it's it's one way to to sometimes transcend defensiveness or transcend um, you know like making accusations. But it's just like owning your feelings and saying, "How do you feel about that? Would you be willing to do this?" And even just like and reading this book, even though I already think about this stuff a lot, has really had specific shifts in how I communicate and I've seen the fruits of it already. And obviously it isn't a coverall. Obviously there are cases of abuse or where everybody in the situation doesn't really doesn't mean well, where nonviolent communication is totally not the answer that, you know, but I think when everybody really does mean well, and we're just looking for a framework with which to communicate. I think it can be an awesome tool. So um, if you want to get a jump on that before our episode with Roxy, read Being Genuine, Stop Being Nice and Start Being Did Real. Did Roxy Manning write it? No. Um, I'm afraid that I'll mispronounce the author's name. Michael Donsenburg. All right. <laughs> That's my try. All right. That's my quickie. Charlie Glickman. That was a long quickie. Oh, I'm notorious. It's, it, listen, for Stephanie, that was a short quickie. Uh, <laughs> hey, you know... And, you know, long quickies are a feature, not a bug. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
So I would like to give a shout out to a book that recently came out um, by Julia Sandra Decker called The Invisible Orientation and Introduction to Asexuality. Um, mm. I first met uh, the author virtually. We've never met in person, but we first connected over email because uh, I was uh, editing the blog for Good Vibrations and she wanted to write a piece about asexuality. And uh, after a few pieces like that, um, it was really amazing to watch that grow uh, and develop into a whole book that she's been working on for quite some time. You know, a lot of people misunderstand asexuality, uh, and the more we can understand uh, this experience, which is far more common than people realize, the more of a perspective we can get on the lives of people's uh, sexual interactions. Um, the book is full of wisdom. It's got lots of tips for you know, things like questions to not ask an asexual person because they're tired of hearing it. Mm -hmm. um, there's research there. Uh, it's valuable. Um, if you are a sex geek or a sex therapist or you're just interested in human sexuality or you were someone you know might be asexual, I really recommend checking this uh, book out. It's fantastic. And I'm not just saying that because I wrote a blurb for the back cover. I mean, every word of it. <laughs> Sweet. Um, my quickie is that um, I objected to another wedding this weekend. Another? Uh, that's the second time that I have been asked by the couple being married to, uh, during the ceremony when the officiant says, does anyone have any reason why these two should not be wed? The couple has asked me to talk about um, uh, the problems with a state-sponsored marriage and our dominant cultural ideas surrounding marriage. And um, those are the two times in my life that I have been most nervous. Um, Wait, so I, I, I want to check. So the, the couple getting married specifically asked you to raise this point during the wedding, but then they went ahead and got married. Yes. Wow. They wanted it acknowledged. And like Dave and I are both vocal about our big questions about the institution of marriage. And but, but, but this time, but again, this time um, they, they said, you know, we, we feel, we feel strange about buying into this, about buying into the social construct that we have major questions with. And we'd like those questions to at least be brought up in our, in our marriage. Uh, in our wow. um, and it's very stressful and it's been very interesting to see the fallout once again, which is split kind of down the middle between holy shit. That was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And people who are really angry that it happened. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess, you know, I mean, uh, so, um, so, uh, I, I, we, we, I have that text online. You're welcome to it was look published, at it. It was published in a couple of places. The first one that you did, where is, where can we find it? Oh, I don't remember. It's on, it's on my, it's and on plus some, one, right? No, I no, don't think so. That's the bank's thing. That's the bank's thing. I also oh. object to banking. Um, but we'll have the text online. Um, what I want to say is that, um, if you would like to, uh, if you would like to ask people, uh, me to object to your wedding, I'm happy to come do it. And also put the text out there in case you want to get somebody closer we'll, to you to read it as a thing. We'll post where um, it lives on our Facebook page, but also I would like to officially put it on our blog, yeah. which we have not yet done. So but we'll do that soon. Wow. If you have, if you have to get married or want to, but have feel weird about it, maybe consider having somebody object to it. You know, just maybe let's get this be a, to be a thing. So just one, one, one other question I have about it was, yeah. did the people, did, did the rest of the people there for the wedding know that the couple had asked you to do it? 
well, no. And because um, that seems fraught. Like I could see the wedding reception being really tricky for you after something like that. It, it, it was. Uh, I had it in there originally that they had asked me to do it, and they asked me to take it out. Um, uh, so in this case, I think that in the future when I'm doing this, I would prefer to be up front. In the first time you did it, it was in the text and that people, they had asked you. Here's the you. thing. People still didn't believe it. People mm. still thought that I did that. So um, this can be fraught. I agree. Um, and there yeah. are, I did get a lot of questions of, I can't believe you did that. Did they know? And I'm like, yeah, yes, they asked me to. Um, but um, uh, if you would like to feel more nervous than you've ever felt in your life, maybe <laughs> ask for some friends uh, that are getting married if they would mind if you objected to their wedding. <laughs> <laughs> and this is in grounds of beyond marriage and alternatives to marriage still celebrating the love and commitment of the people Absolutely, that we're getting married yeah and um more on that see episode two with diana adams yeah if you haven't heard that already but um that was when we were still figuring out what we were doing indeed <laughs> um so dave congratulations on your longest quickie ever thank you you're like you're like uh, almost outpacing me uh-huh. <laughs> we're switching we're, we're switching on uh-huh. today's episode wait um, i have seven more <laughs> <laughs> no that's my territory okay. well thank you again so much charlie, charlie thank you so us. much this was so great. wonderful yeah such a pleasure and uh, good luck with everything thanks you too So on our last episode, we put out a call for happy, healthy breakup stories, and we really appreciate all of you who wrote in. Yay! And so we're going to read a couple of them now. Feel free to have this be an ongoing thing if you haven't sent it yet, but want to feel free to also send that in. Um, But um, one thing that I do want to say, like the fact that we're celebrating healthy and happy breakup stories does not mean that there's any shame in having a hard breakup and so many healthy, happy breakups are also very, very hard. Yeah. So, um, it's, it's okay. And you're okay. If you know, and, and there are of course cases where there's real hurt and abuse and you know, where it wouldn't be appropriate to stay friends with your ex. But I think there, this call came out of us believing that there is uh, prevalence of cultural nav- narratives where it's like you must have scorched earth or someone must have been an asshole instead yeah. of celebrating that like well if you were dating a person to begin with there must have been some kind of awesome connection and so what if that connection can just shift instead of be scorched earth and all or nothing and and that's where this impulse comes yeah. from and i think and we both feel that there just aren't enough of these uh, stories in public of uh, mm-hmm. and that and that still to the point when stephanie and i discuss our happy and healthy breakup that people are 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 shocked by it sometimes that how can you how can mm-hmm. you still be friends with an ex or podcast co-host with an ex god forbid oh my god um but um then so yeah again really no shame but i also think it's worth celebrating when um when breakups uh end up being a good thing yep and so here are three stories where that's the case which yeah. we love and really appreciate this this first one that we're going to share we're going to we're going to uh, edit uh, for time just it's a beautiful story and we will post the whole thing on the website um mm-hmm. so you can get the the context that we're skipping um but to share part of it we're going to share the beginning and the ending and then i think it's totally worth your time to read the middle so mm-hmm. um, here it is so in 2012 rudy and i were 23 and have been together since we were 19 we had lived together, spent holidays with each other's families, had the big fights and worked it out, talked about the future, agreed about priorities, marriage in a couple of years, kids too, probably, but career and travel first, get a dog but never a cat, everything from engagement rings to preferred milk fat content, the whole long-term couple shebang. 
we were also really young and navigating a bunch of problems that we had no context for and no way of handling, like the fact that my libido had been decimated by birth control or his struggle to re-enroll in school after a financial leave. There was a lot going on, but at the base of it, we had grown into different people from the ones who fell in love. And here's where we're skipping the middle and going right to the end. A few months post-breakup, he fell in love with someone else, and I slowly gave up on us getting back together. That hurt, too. We found new boundaries, like what I could hear him talk about and what was too much. He respected what I needed, and I respected his relationship, and we stayed close. He told her from the jump that my presence in his life was non-negotiable, just as much as ever we had each other's backs. When he had conflicts with our managers at work, I went to bat for him. Eventually, the friendship filled in the hole left from the breakup. This January, we got dinner at a pizza place in the West Village, and he nervously told me he was proposing the next day. And I was happy for him. Happy enough that in two months, I'll be one of the people standing beside him when he marries that girl. It was awful for a long time, and I don't think there are many breakups that aren't. No matter how close you stay or how many compromises you make, it just sucks. That's what breakups are. But we're both always glad we didn't let ourselves confuse the hurt from the breakup with aversion to one another. Mm. At this point, we've traded so much love and trust that I think of him like my family. Whoever else comes and goes, we have each other. Gorgeous. And here's another. After dating for close to a year, my gut was getting louder and more insistent. The relationship I shared with Alex wasn't working. The idea of ending it, and especially the idea of potentially hurting Alex, filled me with so much sadness. But I knew that we were no longer being our best selves with one another and that the truly loving thing to do was to be honest and create space for us to change and grow in new ways. So with a heavy heart... I began the conversation that I'd been rehearsing in my head for weeks. Alex, I feel like this isn't working. Given the amount of time I'd been preparing for this, you'd think I could have come up with something more eloquent than that. But in truth, I wasn't exactly sure what my desired outcome was. And as it turned out, opening the door was all that really needed to happen. It quickly became evident that we were on the same page. Alex had also been feeling stuck and unsatisfied in our relationship, but unsure of how to reorient. Soon we were both crying, talking about all the things we loved and appreciated about one another and affirming the goodness and beauty that had been found and created in our relationship. It was perplexing to us both. To us both. We're both great and good-looking and humble. Why wasn't it working? But even as we showered each other in praise and affirmation, the clarity of our reality remained. It was time for a new chapter in this sweet partnership that had already offered us both so much goodness and taught us so much. The negotiation of that shift would take time. Now, six months later, we're still stumbling along the messy but beautiful path toward post-dating friendship. But that night, with tear-streaked cheeks and raw, tender hearts, it was already clear that even as the nature of our relationship changed, our commitment to one another was steadfast. Trusting in that, I knew that we didn't have to figure it all out right then and there. Glancing up from my snot and tear-soaked hanky, I said, do you want to take a break from crying for a minute? Alex smiled and nodded, and soon after, we were curled up on the couch together watching cute kitten videos on YouTube and laughing about how very, very gay we both are. These are my favorite stories. We have one more. Okay. (sighs) Please, even if it's just for my happiness edification, please keep sending this to us because this is my favorite thing. (laughs) Okay. Talk about acknowledging complexity, right? Yeah. 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 Dave, Dave is crying. I'm okay. Uh, okay. Love to Dave. Love, <laughs> love to all of you. Um, here's our third one. Uh, my wife and I got married young. We didn't particularly want to get married, but we did it because she was from another country, or as she likes to say, because I was. 
A lot happened in the years we were together. She went from being a femme anthropologist to a butch vegan baker, and I transformed from a nervous Woody Allen type into an avid cyclist. She got sick. She got better. I wrote a dissertation. She grew a mohawk. We built a home and a community, and we loved each other a bunch. But after eight years of being together, we were pointed in different directions, so we parted amicably. The divorce was easy, though we bickered over money. But we got through it, and I'm thrilled that we did. Today, we live in different cities, but we're still close friends. She helped me through my last breakup. I flew out to take care of her when she had surgery. The background photo on my phone is a picture of my new love and my ex-wife hanging out without me in California. <sighs> they both knew how important they were to me, so they arranged to meet. Every time I look at that, I smile. This story has been edited and approved by the ex, who is also a listener. If everybody loved each other, the world would be a better place to live. Yeah, and we often say our listeners are the sexiest, but I also think our listeners are the most beautiful. Thank you for sharing these stories with us, and we would love uh, to read to read more, so please keep sending them in. Yep, thank you. it for episode 19 and thank you again so much to dr charlie glickman and you can learn more about his work at makesexeasy.com and if you dig what we do and if you're not already our patron we ask that you seriously consider going to patreon.com slash sex for smart people that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash sex for smart people and checking it out uh seeing if it's reasonable for you patreon is this awesome crowdsource fundraising platform where instead Instead of raising toward one big goal like Kickstarter, um, Patreon allows people to pledge any amount per episode. So you could throw us a dollar per episode, $2, $50 if that's doable for you, or even 25 cents per episode. Really, every little bit truly does help so much in, in how we can keep this thing afloat. And um, we really, really, really appreciate the support of our community. So if you haven't checked it out yet, please go to patreon.com slash sex for smart people and see what's doable for you. And above and beyond, thank you so much for being in conversation with us. And thank Thanks for telling friends about us. We care so much about widening this conversation. We want to be in touch with you if you're not already on Facebook and Twitter and in all of the places. And um, if you get a chance, please go to our website and find that survey by November 1st. We would love to hear from you. And lots of details in this episode. Thank you for sticking with these. Um, and on our next episode, we are doing another all quickies all the time episode like we did on episode 10 because that was so much fun. So we'll have not one, but three wonderful guests joining us. Francisco Ramirez will be back. He was with us on episode 16. He's a sexuality educator, sometimes gives advice for free in public parks and also works with the UN and MTV. And we'll have writer-comedian Emma Tattenbaum-Fine with us and also Kate Zen, who is an artist activist and pro-dominatrix so cool voices to all have in the room together and we look so we so look forward to being in conversation with all of them and to staying in conversation with all of you and thank you again from the bottom of our hearts for downloading and we look forward to seeing you next time clarity is the sexiest 
embodied connection is the sexiest. Mm. Acknowledging gender complexity is the sexiest. <laughs>